I'm Bridget Trong. And I'm Tom Yoni. On today's episode, we're talking about that money, honey, how to save in an increasingly expensive world, how to invest your money and where, and how to plan accordingly for tax season. All this and more with millennial money expert, speaker, award-winning blogger, host of the Mo Money podcast, and founder of Millennial Money Meetup, Jessica Morehouse. This truly is Money Management 101 for Millennials. Jess, I'm so excited to talk to you. I know we met last fall, I believe. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that you were a millennial money expert, I thought to myself, (laughs) a what? (laughs) I know, I just gave myself that title. (laughs) You can't get more niche, which is great. So, I mean, you've been on the record to say that your main passion is personal finance in a Mm -hmm. world where people you know, cringe at the thought of viewing their finances under a microscope. Why are you so into it? What does, where does the passion come from? Well, I think it has less to do with, oh, I love math or um, uh, money. I mean, it's really, I realized how important it was to understand how to properly manage your money when I was in my 20s and was broke and was trying to figure out how can I afford to uh, you know, pay off my student loan and move out of my parents' place and start living like a real adult. I didn't want to live like a broke student for the rest of my life. And so um, it was actually my sister, my older sister, who's uh, three years older, and she'd graduated uh, ahead of me and then did a master's and was kind of, you know, a bit of ahead of me in terms of like adulting. And so she had discovered that there's a thing called like blogs and there's like personal finance blogs that she kind of... Um, uh, stumbled upon because she was trying to figure out also how to pay off her student loans. And so she told me about them. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I've never even heard of personal finance or blogs. I mean, I have a, a background in film. And so I was intrigued and read a few and I thought, wow, how interesting these people are sharing their, you know, experiences and numbers and just <clears throat> thoughts about their money. And no one talks about money. So I thought it was so interesting and and different. And I have always been relatively, you know, money conscious and frugal. And so when I kind of saw other people talking about it so openly and being so kind of brave about that, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Maybe, maybe I can jump in on that and, you know, learn some kind of new skills, share my story and then learn about finance along the way. So that's kind of what jump started it. But really what it was, was I realized that um, money has power. And I used to always think that in order to be wealthy one day or just like financially comfortable, you had to come from money. And I certainly did not come from money. But then I kind of realized, oh, no, you know, there's so many strategies and tools that anyone can learn to improve their financial situation. And uh, you don't have to, you can come from humble beginnings and uh, end up in like a much better place. So what are some of the tips that you provide to young people in terms of maybe different things that they should practice or be aware of or how to manage their money or, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, what are some of the main tips that you provide to young people that can help get them on the right track when maybe they don't know where to start? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of them are just very kind of common sense, but I think if you... Uh, have never encountered anyone like me talking about this. You're like, oh, I have no idea where to start. And I'm also a, a financial counselor now. And so a lot of the people that actually stumble on my podcast, they were looking for something else. Then I'm like, oh, what's this, you know, 
podcast. That sounds interesting. And then they listen to a few of my episodes and they're like, oh, this is totally different than what I thought. Because typically when you think of finance, no offense, you think of like some old white guy in a suit and that sounds super boring and not relatable. And so I kind of have this voice where I am, you know, relatable. I am just like you, but I'm breaking down money in a very kind of non-judgmental and um, easy to understand way. And so some of like the, the things that I feel like everyone should do in order to kind of set that financial foundation so they can kind of move on to other things in their life is like, number one, have an emergency fund, which is really just three to six or even more than that, maybe nine months of your living expenses saved up uh, in a savings account. Most people actually don't have that uh, in Canada and the US. Um, and that's why people get into debt because something happens, like their car breaks down and now they can't you know, get to work and so they lose their job or uh, they get laid off and they don't have any money or it takes a while for them to get onto EI. And so what do they do? They rely on their credit cards or their line of credit and they get into debt and then it takes a very long time to get out of that debt cycle because a lot of those you know, lines of credit or credit cards have very high interest. So it's, it's, that's you, how you get into that paycheck to paycheck cycle. And I work with clients like that all the time and it's very, very difficult. So if you have that emergency fund, when something happens, you have the cash to pay it off and you won't have to get into debt. So that is like my number one thing. It is so easy for anyone to do. You just have to basically every paycheck, put a percentage of your paycheck into a savings account and don't touch it. What percentage would you say? Uh, well, it depends. So, so here's the thing. It's not, there's not like, okay, put this percentage of your paycheck away. That doesn't really make sense. You have to figure out, well, how much do I want to save and what kind of time frame? So you really have to start with like a budget and all a budget is, is just a plan for how you want to allocate your income. It's nothing to restrict you. It really is just like, okay, where do we want our money to go? And so we obviously want our money to go into our savings school. So an emergency fund would be considered a savings school. And then the rest of the money is going to be spent on your fixed and variable expenses. So like your, your rent, your living expenses, your groceries, going out with friends, whatever it is. And so really you need to outline first, what are my savings goals? So you want to save first, that's called paying yourself first. And you really want to make sure that you are focusing on saving first, spending second, because if you're not doing that, then you're going to be spending all of your money and there's not going to be anything left over to save. And so, you know, outlining, okay, I want an emergency fund. I want to be able to save up, let's say $10,000 in one year in order to do that with my current paycheck. How much do I need to contribute to that savings account every single month? So that's kind of how you'd find that percentage of your paycheck. So it's almost like creating a work back calendar. Exactly. Work exactly. back savings plan, which is a good call, but Jess, not to sound like a pessimist, I think it's becoming increasingly harder and harder for not just millennials, I think people mm -hmm. to save in general, let alone plan for emergency funds, you know, mm -hmm. especially I'm looking at mortgage rates and I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't know when I can personally afford a home in the city, let alone my children, if we're going to keep going at this rate. Mm -hmm. But then if I want to plan for my emergency fund, I want to plan for, you know, my next home saving for my child's education, or in your case, Tom, because you just had your son last week, planning for it now, there's just so much you might want to save for. Mm -hmm. Is it is it possible to do it all at once and then still live comfortably day to day? Or mm -hmm. would you suggest yeah, kind of starting somewhere first? It is, eh? 
It is. It's, it's, the thing is, it's really about outlining what all of your goals are and then having a priority sequence. So your emergency fund should be your number one, especially if you did just have a child because there's going to be some emergencies that pop up, right? And so you want to make sure you got some cash in case something happens. And I totally get that. My sister, uh, my elder sister who introduced me into personal finance blog, she's expecting in July and it is very stressful. And there's a lot of things that happen and they just bought a house as well. And so uh, there's a lot of things to consider. So what you really need to do is like outline all of your financial goals and then see which ones are have like the most important. So that emergency fund is maybe a special emergency fund for your child, maybe putting some money away for uh, their post-secondary education in RESP and, you know, whatever else, maybe retirement savings, maybe a home down payment. So you have maybe multiple savings goals, but then you really figure out, okay, which ones do we need to attack first? Definitely that emergency fund and that child emergency fund for sure. And so that is where you're going to really put a, a focus on your dollars. Once those are fully funded, which, you know, it could take a year, it could take you know only just a few months, depending on how much money you want to save up in those kind of savings buckets. Then you can move on to kind of your next one. So if you are kind of doing it all at the same time, it will take you longer. So that's why I kind of feel like just attack the most important ones first, then move on to your other kind of uh, financial goals. So just kind of like any goals, you always have you know all of your goals outlined, but then you should always have a priority sequence. Otherwise, It'll take a long time to make any progress and actually reach that kind of finish line. So that makes a lot of sense. And the idea of kind of mapping out your goals and then having a priority sequence is probably something that um, everybody could kind of buy into. And the challenge mm -hmm. I would imagine is being disciplined then and making sure that you mm -hmm. stick to it. So what are some of the common pitfalls or challenges that you've seen with young people when it comes to actually sticking to that plan? And how do people overcome that? Yeah, I kind of like to equate it to the same thing of, you know, fitness. We all want to lose weight, get fit. I mean, this is kind of, kind of been like a lifetime struggle of mine. I like get on the bandwagon. It'd be really great to go into the gym and working out and then I'll get really busy and then I'll fall off and then I'll start eating more carbs and then, you know, look back like, wow, I've been to the gym in a month. And so it really is about, um, figuring out how you can self-motivate yourself and how you can keep yourself accountable. And part of that is like when you do have those goals outlined, those should be part of your motivation. You're like, wow, if I stick to this plan, I will be able to achieve that. The numbers don't lie. Like there's, there's literally the only way I won't be able to achieve these financial goals is if I stop contributing to my, you know, uh, bank accounts or my savings accounts or my, uh, investments. That's the only way. So I need to kind of keep onto it. Another thing that me and my husband do, which sounds really nerdy, but it is very effective. We've been doing it for over three years now is we have kind of monthly check-ins with ourselves. So we call it our monthly money meeting. We have a you know pretty uh, elaborate spreadsheet just because our lives are both confusing because we're both self-employed. And so we have a, uh, a budget spreadsheet. We have a spending tracker. So we track all of our spending, which sounds really hard. It isn't. You just have to download the transactions from your bank accounts, your credit cards in an Excel file and copy and paste it into whatever format you want. And then we track our net worth every month. And so we do that uh, every single month. It will take us maybe an hour and then we'll be able to see where are we at financially? Are we meeting our goals? Are we not? What's our net worth right now? Are we going up? Are we going down? What's going on? That is kind of, I feel like the key thing that anyone can do very easily. I have free spreadsheets on my website too, that anyone can kind of get started with. And then you have that accountability because you know, you're going to have that meeting in a month. So you're like, I need to make sure that I am doing what I say I'm going to do. And I think that the key thing too, is to track your spending, which I, you know, 
a lot of people say that sounds awful. I do it with all my clients and that's the only way that they know where their money's going and if they are, where the problem areas are. Because I think going back to the idea of how can you not achieve your financial goals? Well, sometimes it's like you're spending too much money on the wrong things. So you need to kind of identify what are those problem areas, kind of like tracking your you know, your food intake. It's like, you're like, I'm working out, but I'm not losing any weight. Well, what are you eating? So if you're, you have these financial goals and you're not reaching them and you don't understand why it's like, well, what are you spending your money on? It's a really good point. I love that you and your husband hold each other mm-hmm. accountable and have shared mm-hmm. spreadsheets. That's, that's a partnership yeah. right there. It is. And it could be difficult if you don't have that partnership with someone. And so, but I, I feel like you could still do that with yourself. So when I'm working with clients that are just single, I'm like, put that in your calendar. Like, well, A, when you're working with a financial counselor, or financial planner, you can have those meetings with that professional, but you can also keep yourself accountable by putting that in your calendar, or you can kind of do something fun where maybe you have a friend group and you have like an accountability group where you just kind of check in with each other. You don't have to share numbers or anything, but just check in with each other. Like, Hey, how are you doing? Did you do your monthly spending or whatever? <laughs> Jess, while we're on the topic of holding each other accountable when you live under the same roof, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on sharing a bank account with your partner? I mean, even if it's a common law partner, what are your thoughts on that? Should we stay independent so that, you know? Yeah. So that's a great question. Yeah. It could be a tough topic for a lot of couples to explore and it Mm -hmm. sometimes can actually tear a couple apart. Oh, absolutely. So I did a video with my husband a few years ago just for kicks. I was just trying to like, "Hmm, maybe we'll explore YouTube. And it's been such an interesting video just to see the comments. A lot of people have a lot of feelings about it. And it was basically me and my husband explaining how we manage our money together. So we've been together 12 years, married for six. And for the entire, everything was separate before we were married. Um, And then once we were married, the most we've done is we have a joint checking account for a joint bill. So like our mortgage and utilities, internet, Netflix, whatever. And we have a joint credit card for like groceries and other things. But that is, uh, and then we have like a joint, uh, a couple joint uh, savings accounts for joint uh, savings goals. So like if we want to go on a trip together, we'll both contribute a certain amount every month to that savings account. But that is it. Everything else is separate. And the reason is because honestly, we don't fight about money because we have that independence, which I think is very important. Um, we make our own money. We make different incomes, but we're still contributing jointly for our joint goals. And then whatever else you're doing is your kind of business. We still look at our spending because we have those money meetings. So there's no surprises. I know what's going on, but we can't dictate how the other person spends their money because it doesn't matter because we're also individuals, even though we're a couple. And what was interesting was so many people think, I I mean, I don't know who these people are, but they were commenting on YouTube that, oh, once you're married, you have to join um, your finances together. No, you can actually do whatever you want. And personally for me too, as like, a woman in this time as a feminist, I feel like us women need to kind of protect ourselves financially because if there was a, you know, a divorce or separation to be uh, happening, the women typically are the ones to uh, have kind of the financial repercussions, not so much the men. So we need to protect our, ourselves and our money. And so when you do have any kind of joint account, that becomes community property. So if you want to protect yourself and you're like, oh, I got an inheritance, maybe, and you're not sure if you do want it to be like joint property, if you divorce, then it gets you know split 50-50, then make sure it's just in your name and don't make it a joint account. So for us, honestly, we never fight because we know what's going on with her money. And you know he can't judge me on spending money on coffee once in a while. And I don't judge him on, he works in music. And so he buys lots of 
plugins and like, you know, techie things that I don't get, but it's like, I don't care. You do whatever you want with your money. I'll do whatever I want with my money. No matter what, we're still, you know, on budget tracking our spending and net worth working on our financial goals. So what's the problem? So in my opinion, for us, that's what works, but it really depends on what you and your partner want to do. So that's when you really do have to sit down and have a good conversation on, hey, what do we feel about money? What do we want to do with our money? How do we want to manage our money? What makes us most, the most comfortable? Just out of curiosity, what was your last big splurge? Mm. I know you're very financially <laughs> responsible and yeah, uh, so, yes. you mentioned frugal, <laughs> I, but what was your last big splurge that you were really pumped well, about? Well, I don't spend a ton of money on, like, here's the thing. So I am not one of those finance people that judge people for spending money on stuff. Um, I buy lots of stuff that lots of people will be like, that's stupid. I don't think it really matters. Spend your money on whatever the heck you want, as long as you can actually afford it, as long as you have the cash to pay for it, as long as you're still you know, contributing to those savings goals and, and making progress that way. So I'd say like one really like silly thing that I, I treated myself to was I bought like a year subscription to the FabFitFun because I worked with them as a sponsor on my podcast and they gave me a box and I really liked it. And so then they somehow got me into being a customer. And so that seems like kind of like, well, that's like kind of a silly thing to buy. It's not necessary. It's it's just totally just fun. And so that was a bit of a splurge. But honestly, this year I've probably spent more in clothes than I ever have just because I realized I've been self-employed for almost three years now. And a lot of the clothes I had had have been years old or from my old job. And I really wanted to get rid of all of that. So I've been I've been spending quite a bit at the bay, I'll be honest. <laughs> So I think that, uh, first of all, I can relate to that. I spend way too much on clothes. That's maybe my vice, Bridget. <laughs> You're probably a little bit of the same. But for people that uh, maybe have a bit of an impulse within them mm -hmm. where they see something like, oh, I want that, or um, have a little bit of difficulty with discipline when it comes mm -hmm. to the moment where there's something in front of them that they might want, what are the... Um, what are the questions that somebody needs to ask themselves before they actually make that purchase? Or what are the any tips that you have... Um, to help people when it comes to discipline on impulse buys mm -hmm. and um, extending themselves a little bit further beyond what they should do just because they get kind of caught up in the emotion of the moment. Oh, totally. So I think it you know, really still goes back to if you feel like you have a tendency to just, I don't know, overspend, we need to take a look at like why, what's going on deep down. And sometimes uh, it could be that is your um, – the thing that you do to make yourself feel better when you're feeling low or when you're stressed out or when, oh, you hate your job and, uh, you know, in your office building, there's a mall. And so you'd like to walk around at lunch and then you always pick something up. There's lots of kind of things. So I think like doing a bit of a mental deep dive into why are you spending your money on this stuff and does it actually make you feel good? Most likely it does not quite honestly. And then also taking a look at what are your personal values? Like what do you value in life? And does your spending line up with that? Most of the people that I work with that, you know, have been like, oh, I need to work with you because I'm, I'm in debt. And I overspend. And I don't know why. We take a look at their spending and they're spending it on stuff that doesn't actually bring them joy or doesn't bring them value in life. And sometimes they're like, well, I went out with friends and everyone was buying this. So, so did I. It's like, well, who cares what other people are spending their money on? Like that shouldn't dictate how you spend your money on your work hard for your money. You want to make sure that it aligns with your personal values. So you've got to really, I think, look at what do you value in your life? Is it travel? Is it experiences? Are you spending your money on that? Or are you spending your money on clothes and that actually doesn't 
like bring any value to your life. So looking at kind of that, I think is a really important way, but there's lots of little things that you can do just like whenever you go to a shop that, you know, typically you maybe spend money that you don't, you shouldn't, um, just be like, do I actually need this? Like I've been doing this for so many years. It's just a really important thing to always just check in with yourself at every single purchase. Do I actually need this? And if the answer is no, I don't need this to survive, or I can't afford this at the minute because it means I'll have to take away money to maybe my savings goals or to my, my actual important expenses, put it back on the shelf and leave. And if it's too tempting some of the routes you take to work or whatever, because you pass all these great shops. It's about like finding some different ways to kind of handle that kind of pressure. So either finding a different route or, you know, putting your headphones in and just listening to a podcast or you're focused on something different. Uh, another thing that I've, you know, had my clients do in the past is where you just write on like a little card that can fit into your wallet in like kind of that window of your wallet where you usually put your ID. And so have something that's, you know, you write down being like, you know, these are my top uh, financial goals or just a reminder being like, do you really need this? And so whenever you open your wallet, you see that front and center to be like, oh, oh, right. I forgot. And then you close it up and then you can kind of leave that shop and uh, put your money away. Jess, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and freelancers who listen. And uh, I think money is always top of mind Mm -hmm. when you work for your own. What's the best investment we can make right now? Is it a home? I know mortgage rates are just at an all time Mm -hmm. high, but is it a home? Are they stocks? Is it mutual funds? If if we had to pick one investment to make today, is there one that you can suggest based on our economy? Well, yeah, that's a, it's a loaded question. It really, okay. So first what you have to do, it's not as simple as being like, okay, invest in this and you'll be fine. It really is like, okay, what do you want to invest in? Most people typically when they're investing, they're just investing for retirement. And that might just be the only thing that you invest in. And that's fine. Um, but some people want to invest for shorter term goals. Like, you know, maybe I want to invest in like GICs or something kind of conservative for my home down payment. And that's something you can do, but let's just, pretend like, okay, you're talking about, I want to do some like long-term investing so I could eventually have a big pile of money for retirement. What should I do? Um, well, there's a lot of different, uh, schools of thought and strategies out there. In my personal view, uh, I practice one called passive investing. So that is really focused on investing in, uh, the market, but not investing in actively managed, um, investment products. So you mentioned mutual funds that is uh, considered an actively managed, uh, investment product. And for me, I prefer ones that are, um, passive. So that just means they work in a different way. And I don't want to get too technical because I know people will get bored, but basically it's like they're lower cost and they track the movements of the market instead of trying to beat the market. Um, so you've probably heard of like, uh, robo advisors, like a well simple and stuff like that. That is what they do. They take your money, and they invest you in low-cost index-based ETFs that track the market. For me, I've used RoboAdvisor for, for several years. They're a great, uh, easy way for, I think, especially millennials to start investing their dollars. But um, going back to the idea of what should you invest in, real estate, the market, what does it mean? Um, it's important to, when you're thinking of your investment portfolio, so just like the different assets you're investing in, you need to be diversified. You've probably heard, you know, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Absolutely. So I I get this question a lot um, when I do speaking gigs, like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of buying a home. Do you think this is a good investment? 
in my personal view, I wouldn't consider the home that you live in an investment, uh, an investment in, in the same way buying stocks or bonds would be because you're living in it. And if you need to sell it in order to get liquid cash, it would be very difficult and possibly expensive. And you may actually lose money because you're selling at the wrong time. If you're buying real estate to eventually rent out and uh, that, you know, uh, property is going to gain value. That's an investment in my mind. That's something you can actually allocate a percentage in your portfolio, but your home, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my home in my investment portfolio. I wouldn't say, Oh, this takes up 40% of my portfolio. I'm like, no, it's just my home that I live in. Yes, it will increase in value, but I have absolutely no plans on selling it at this minute. So what I kind of say, if you're just starting to think about investing or get started with investing, I think it's important to just invest in, in the market. So um, and then if you want to kind of add on to that, then you can add on kind of those alternative investments like a real estate or like, I don't know, gold or commodities or something like that. But kind of the, the best way to start, I think, is doing some research on what your options are and then looking at kind of, okay, how can, if I want to invest in like the stock market, how do I do that? And in my personal view, doing something in the kind of a couch potato or index uh, strategy. There's lots of different names for the same thing. Uh, that is kind of like, in my personal view, a great way. And that's why it's it's such a big question. And there's investing seems so complicated, and it it can be. But at the crux of it, it's very very simple. But uh, yeah, I can talk about this for hours, and I won't bore you with. It. So I hope I answered your question. <laughs> well, it's kind of one of those things where we don't really learn this in school, mm -hmm. and people don't necessarily talk about money all that much. And so it's kind of difficult sometimes to know where to start and what to do and who to listen mm -hmm. to and how to educate yourself. So for somebody um, that's in your position, which has obviously studied this stuff and built a career around it, what would you say is for the average millennial, for the average young person that is looking to get started, what is the biggest misconception out there about money or saving money or how to mm -hmm. start or build a portfolio that um, you'd like to dispel so that they can kind of get on the right track. Well, yeah, I, there's so many. I'd say one that I hear frequently is I'm not, you know, I don't have enough money to start investing. And so that's why people delay investing for years and years and years. You can start investing with as little as like a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. And so I think a lot of people wait to have like a good chunk of money, like $5,000 in the bank, where it's like, actually, you could have started investing a year ago. So you don't need to be rich to start investing anymore. It used to be very different several decades ago. If you want to, you know, invest, you'd have to hire investment firm. And, and still to this day, if you want to hire a specific investment firm where you will have a, your own portfolio manager who will buy and sell, you know, stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, whatever for you in your portfolio, most of the time they're not going to accept you unless you have several hundred thousand dollars already in a portfolio. And so for people that are just starting out, they can feel like, oh, I don't have enough money. It's like, well, just don't work with those uh, kind of branches. I think another thing that's really important that I, I see a lot with clients is we, a lot of us only get our financial information from those financial services or product companies. And obviously they have an MO and that they want to sell you something. And so it's important to recognize that, and I work, I'm an influencer. I work with these banks. Um, <laughs> it's important to recognize what information is valid and what information is just sales. Because a lot of what comes out of these banks, it's not necessarily inaccurate, but it's it's very focused on like selling you something. So a, a typical um, thing that I hear 
um, especially for like first time home buyers is they, they want to do some renovations or updates to their house and they, they're not sure how they should fund that. Well, I would say take your time, save up the cash and then do it in cash and do these little projects one by one. You don't have to do it in one fell swoop. But the banks will say, well, you can actually take out a home equity line of credit. And so you can start your renovations now. And it, what a great idea because it'll improve the value of your home. Well, there's no guarantee it will increase the value of your home. We hope that, but there's no guarantee. And also you're going to be paying some interest on that money you're borrowing. You may not realize that. And it, it could be pretty high. It could be like, you know, 10%. I don't know. It depends on what your kind of credit scores are. And so for that, lots of people would think that is advice from the banks, but really they're trying to sell you a product. So it's, you have to really you know, when you're working with these different companies, always remember that no one cares more about your money than you do. And you need to protect yourself and how you protect yourself is you armor yourself with that education by, you know, listening to podcasts, reading blogs, um, reading books from people that aren't actually selling you anything besides, I don't know, their blog or their book. Jess, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Now, um, April 30th, Canadians' income tax and benefit returns were due, and I believe we have until June 15th as self-employed individuals to make our returns. So that's coming up soon. So I really want to touch upon um, tax season, especially planning for next year. Do you notice that there might be, you know, a common mistake that people make um, leading up to tax season? Well, I'd say waiting too long is definitely a mistake that people do. Well, because one thing I think most people don't realize is even though um, self-employed people have until June 30th to pay their taxes, um, actually, I would recommend that you, I mean, this is too late now, but you should file and pay your taxes by April 30th, which is like the, you know, regular, you know, tax papers deadline, uh, because basically, even though you do not have to file until June 30th as a self-employed person, um, your tax bill was due on April 30th. So you are accruing some interest on that tax bill. Most people don't realize that. It may be not like a big amount of money, but I think a lot of people don't actually realize that, you know, if you just filed by April 30th, you would save some money and give yourself a little bit of a um, you know, a stress reliever just by like pre-planning and, and filing it um, a lot earlier because no one wants to think about taxes by summertime, quite honestly. Um, one thing is, I think when you're self-employed, you need to realize, um, and especially it's like if you were like a solopreneur, it's only you and your company, you need to realize that you are also your company's accountant. Um, like you can hire an accountant, I do, um, to file my taxes, but if you want to just organize all of your your personal finances and your business finances, that's on you. So you can't just, you know, oh, I'll figure it out at the end of the year. No, you should be doing that on a regular basis throughout the year. That's how you keep yourself uh, in the loop on like, how's my business doing? How's my, you know, what are my margins like? Um, am I spending too much money on my business? How much am I personally earning? So I'd highly recommend using some sort of, you know, accounting software. There's so many like QuickBooks, FreshBooks, whatever. Um, and then, you know, on a month by month basis, you know, adding in all of your spending and your income and then making sure it's all organized every single month. Cause then once it is tax time, everything will be ready. Like for me, because I make sure this is kind of part of my routine. Once a month, I take a look at all my receipts and I plug them into my, you know, a FreshBooks account. Then when it comes to tax time, I just have to kind of download a spreadsheet for my accountant and I don't have to spend any, like there's no headaches. Like I don't have to go through a shoebox of receipts because I've already done that throughout the year. So it takes me honestly maybe an hour to do my taxes. 
you are very well planned and organized. <laughs> I have to say, well, <laughs> if that's I'd just, say, it's good to think in these terms. Yeah, though. but I, I'd say, especially if you're like a business owner, it's like, you need to be organized. Like maybe you can, well, I wouldn't say this, but I was like, maybe you can like be a little bit more relaxed with your personal finances, but with your business, you need to, if you want to be successful, you do need to step up and keep yourself like you need to do the work. Sorry. Right. Cause if you, if you aren't, then uh, you're going to, you know, see the repercussions. And if you talk to any successful entrepreneur, this is what they're doing. I remember talking to a while back, um, one of the, oh, I can't remember her name now, which is terrible. One of the dragons and they're like the, the youngest dragon on dragon's den. Um, and we were working on, uh, kind of a, a project with some other women, uh, together that was centered around finance. And I asked her, or she brought up how she kind of, you know, organizes her finances. And she just said too, she's like, I just use a spreadsheet and she's a millionaire. I'm like, okay, so this girl, she does her own stuff. Obviously she has some help, but she still uses a, just a basic spreadsheet to keep everything organized. I think that, and, and lots of other people kind of do the exact same way. Lots of other people I know that have successful businesses. They're like, Oh, I just keep, you know, I just organize things in a spreadsheet and it's fine. So it's, you just kind of kind of look at what other successful people are doing and be like, oh, okay, so I, I guess I need to do that. And usually the people that aren't very organized with their business finances, maybe those aren't the people to really look up to, right? They maybe need a little bit of work. So is it Michelle Romano? Yeah, that's who it is. Yeah. <laughs> love her. Yeah. I love, love her. Yeah. Now, before I let you go, you know, from all the people you've worked with in the past, um, all the subjects you've interviewed on your podcast, what can you confidently say is the biggest money weakness? for millennials and on the mm. other end, the biggest money strength millennials have? Money weakness. Um, probably just the convenience factor. It is way too easy to spend money. Um, you know, you, everything is on your phone with a click of a button, you can spend money. And so that if you already have like a kind of a spending issue where you have some kind of control issues you need to work on, it's, it's kind of amplified by all of these easy ways to spend. Um, but I'd say what our strength is, I feel like our hustle is there. I mean, I do lots of presentations on side hustles, which a lot of people still don't even know what they are, but really it's just like, you know, a way to make money on the side on top of your day job. And that's what, that's how I got started. When I started the blog, it was just for fun. And then it turned into a side hustle and I started earning money on top of my day job. And for me, it's like, that was a necessary thing I had to do because I was not earning that much at my day job. And so I need to kind of figure it out. And I feel like maybe other generations, they weren't as focused or maybe just like they didn't have the technology to easily start kind of their own business on the side. But I see that with a lot of millennials. It's like, if we see there's an income issue, I'm not making enough money at my day job. What can I do? Oh, well, there's so many different ways that you can make money these days. And it could be starting your own side hustle or, you know, doing uh, some sort of hustle that's already in existence. Like, an Airbnb or an Uber or whatever it is to make the money that you need. So I think that's, I see that really uh, across the board with millennials, which is really cool. Well, Jess, we cannot thank you enough for your insight. This is the first time we've explored money management, finances in any way on the show. And I think that uh, there are some key takeaways here for all of us. So thank you so, so much for your insight. Thanks for having me. I just want to really share that finances for everyone. And I like going back to like kind of where I started, I, I am an arts school kid. Like I went to a very artsy school for film and that's what I thought my job was going to be. I did not think I was going to end up in finance. 
And I, I still kind of grapple with like, how did I get here? And it's because money's for everybody. We all earn it, we all save it. So we can all understand how to manage it.